Yeah, so it's a bit weird, a bit different. Um, it's my first time kind of speaking as a dad. Uh, I haven't had, yeah. I haven't had lots of sleep deprivation. So if I completely flop today, I can't even blag it as like, oh yeah, I had no sleep. Like she, she just like, yeah. I, f I stuck a dad cam on, which is what I'm calling it this week. And literally she kept us up one night, the first night we took her home. I wanted to get my own back the following day. So I stuck this like GoPro cam on to film her. And I took her out of the bedroom, held her, while Jody did the hoovering, and I went like, you ready for this? Went straight back in, nothing. <laughs> Took her straight up next to the hoover, nothing. Took her downstairs, put her in the thing, sang to her really badly, moved her arms around, everything. And she just, she was like, is that all you got? Is that all you got? So I can't even complain about being tired. So this morning, um, we're gonna be continuing a series that we started at City Hill last week um, with Claude who is doing more kind of discipleship kind of one-to-ones. We're doing a series called Apprentice. Uh, we've chosen that word just because disciple isn't really a word that gets used in contemporary culture nowadays. You don't really hear of anyone going, I'm looking for disciples for my workplace. It just doesn't really flow that way. So we've been looking at this kind of topic, Apprentice. And of course, like all good stories, all good stories, it starts with some honey, <laughs> which is why this random wooden plates, platters, whatever, um, with apples. And honey. So if you're wanting to in a moment, you can take a dip so you can get a feel of what it was like a few thousand years ago. So we're skipping back to 33 BC. You're six years old. And if you're a woman, you're a boy. So I uh, hate to mess you up like that. But um, that's the story. And so you're six years of age within your local community. There's this dude who is like seriously influential, seriously cool. The guy that everyone looks to. For me, um, when I was a kid growing up, it was my cousin Stephen who'll be here later. I just kind of idolized him. Don't know why, but I just did. I think it was the clapping Liverpool hat that he had. It was just, that was it. it's ruined my life. I support a team that is just struggling so badly. Um, but that, that was it for me. But for these kids in this community, yeah, an Everton fan cheering in the back corner. You're not too hot either, mate. So... <laughs> And so there was this scenario where there comes this moment, you come six years of age and your life is about to drastically change. You're about to have this moment where you're going to go to school. Something you'll find out about Elijah and Reuben very close, I think. You're closer to going to school, aren't you? So there comes this moment where you go to school. They're six years of age, it's their first day and their teacher isn't some person they hadn't heard of. It's not some teacher they didn't know about. It's someone they really respect and revere and look up to, like a local celebrity to a degree. And this guy would be standing outside and as they would come in ready to kind of learn, he'd be standing there with a slate and some honey and he would take like, the, well they dipped with an apple for one of their celebrations, but the kid would just like dip his finger in the honey and he would take, like, take it in and then the rabbi would say to him, his words are sweeter than honey. And he'd quote the psalmist. He'd say, his words are sweeter than honey. Through them, I gain understanding and I detest all other ways. And so this kid on his first day, or for you younger guys, afterwards, I'll sort you boys out and anyone else who is not of the honey Variety. We have Haribo. His word is sweeter than Haribo. Can you believe that? Reuben. Yeah. He's looking at me like, no, no way. Totally. Yes way. So his word is sweeter than Haribo. His word is sweeter than honey. And so this six-year-old straight away would start these classes and he would start to learn 
the Torah, these books of law which gauged their community. And it wasn't like school that we go to today. In school today, you go to school and they give you loads of information. You take the information in and you can test this out on your own kids. I will do in a number of years time. And you can say to them, okay, well, what does that mean? What's that for? And it doesn't matter pretty much any age you ask it for, throughout the whole of primary school, secondary school, they never tell you why you're learning what you're learning, ever. There's never any application. It never connects to how you live your life every day. There's nothing. It's just information. You take it and you take tests and you pass the test to get a piece of paper and then hopefully that serves you well getting a job or something like that. But in their society, in their context, it was totally different. So it starts off with this first lesson, which is his word is sweeter than honey. Through it, I gain understanding and I detest all other ways. I found the way that I'm going to live. It's the sweetest way that I can live and it creates buying with this child and they go through this period from six to 13. At the end of being 13 years of age, they've completed their studies and all of their studies are just like tasting the honey. All of them are interactive. All of them are, are dynamic. All of them are about how you live your life, how you interact within your community, within your context. And at the end of it, there's a choice. It's a split in the avenue and you either go one of two ways. You either have this moment where the rabbi would say to you, you're great, follow me. We're gonna take this up a notch. You're not just gonna learn these lessons anymore that set you up for life. You're gonna follow me not to get a grade or to cut a class. You're gonna come with me to be like me. And so what happened is they would leave their mother and their father, just like you leave your mother and father and you cleave to your wife, you leave your mother and father and you go and follow your rabbi to become like them, cut off from all other influences, and then you would come back within the community a completely different and transformed person. And that was how they did things. Or what would happen is you'd have this awkward moment, which me and my friend Billy um, used to do to each other at work all the time. We'd be hanging out and we decided that we felt the most horrible thing in life is that moment when you do something at work or with your friends and one of them puts their hand on your shoulder and goes, you're better than that, mate. It's just, it kills you. It just kills you inside. Like part of you wants to hit them if it was your best. And part of you thinks like, yeah, yeah, I am better than that. I am. And it, it just hurts. It's one of those things. You're better than that. What they would have is this rabbi would say to them like, you're not better than that, mate. <laughs> I am totally sorry, dude. You totally need to go home and learn your father's trade. You are done with education. You are completely done. And so we find ourselves today looking at Luke Chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years of age, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be with the group, they went a day's journey. Then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. Jodie, by the way, let's keep tabs, okay? <laughs> she could go missing today. So... She, they search among the relatives and the acquaintance and they realize, oh my days, he's not here. And they return to Jerusalem, searching for him. Three days later, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And like, that's a totally different to our culture. So in our culture, when you have a teacher and stuff like that, it's kind of like um, with kids asking questions, all it ever is is like, why, why? Why they're asking questions is kind of like challenging your authority, challenging your worldview, um, disagreeing with you and telling you this is how it is. So when it says that he's doing this, he's sitting amongst the rabbis, the teachers, and he's not doing it in the context like this of like a small local church. Um, he's not doing this at HTB. He's doing this at the temple. He's doing this at 
headquarters with the top teachers in the country, this 12-year-old is sitting there going, no, 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 this is how it is. You believe that? Let me ask you a question. And so he is sitting there. When he's asking questions, he's doing a lot more than that. And it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. Now, all who heard him were not just your average guys within a congregational context, like a synagogue or ecclesia, as they called it, among the Jews as well. What this was, was he was amongst the top scholars and teachers in the whole country, and they were amazed at his teaching. It would be like sitting in a room with like Stephen Hawkins and guys like that, and just dropping scientific bombs, and them going, who is this kid? Like, where the hell did you get him? This is nuts. So he's dropping these bombs, and all are amazed at his understanding his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Or otherwise translated, did you not know I must be about my father's business? They did not understand the saying he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all the things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, in stature and in favor with God and with man. So he now returns home. Now, he's in Nazareth. Nazareth's a bit of a ghetto, but it's still in Galilee. Galilee is like a crazy, fanatical, religious um, region. So for them, the greatest thing you can achieve in life is to become a lawyer, um, which has always got a religious spin and connotation on it because it's working out how you practically live your life and how everyone in the whole country will live. So he's going through this kind of, this, this shift at age 12, one year before he gets to the point where there's a split, where you get told, hey, you're coming with me. We're going to do this thing. You're going to follow me. Or... Mate, you don't cut it. Go learn your father's trade. So Jesus is 12 years of age. He's just dropped bombs like Labyrinth come in, Tinchy Strider. He's just dropped bombs on it. These guys are like, who the heck is this kid? They're all amazed. And then he returns home to his town. He'd have been like, he could have had the attitude of walking around his kids, the other kids at school going like, oh, I am totally sorted for next summer's apprenticeship. I'm not even kidding. Like... JP Morgan are chasing me. Like, I'm being headhunted. He better to drop the names of the top rabbis and influencers and entrepreneurs and social guys, um, social change and innovators within his context and say, oh, yeah, totally Steve Jobs, man. Oh, my gosh. That guy was like, what's your number? And I was just like, oh, Steve, cut it out. And so that's kind of the level that he's doing here. So when he comes back, he's sorted. He's got his place hooked up for, for, for all the colleges, all the universities are chasing after him. Or if we're going to put it in a slightly lower kind of context, it's X Factor. And he's at the point of judges' houses when he gets to 13. And Simon Cowell is like, you're coming to judges' houses. The music goes, the crowd screams, everyone's excited. But then we know in the context later in the story that someone says to him, isn't this the carpenter's son? And what they mean by saying that statement is, isn't this the guy who dropped out? Isn't this the guy who learned his, his trade, Joseph's trade? They say, isn't this the carpenter? So somewhere along the line, he went from the hottest thing in town where everyone would have been fighting over him. People have made notes of his name. Like, we are, one year's time, he is so mine. They'd have been fighting over him, but he becomes a carpenter. It's almost as if one of two things must have happened. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but it has to go one of two ways. There had to be this conversation where they're like, I'm sorry you don't cut it, but that's, that's just preposterous. You can't drop bombs at the temple and not get a placement, even with like some weirdo rabbi. Um, it's, just, it's just like, you know, the, the decrepit one who doesn't really know what he's doing. You, you've got a placement, like that's just preposterous. Or there's a moment on stage with the crowd watching and Simon Cowell's like, you're coming to judges' houses with that wry smile. And Jesus is like, you know what? That's awesome, but oh, building houses. That'd be great right about now. Like, what are you doing? And so he does this thing where 
somewhere along the line, he's rejected going and learning from some top hotshot lawyer, rabbi. He's done his thing. He clearly, the rest of his life, starts to live life as a one, two, one, two. He goes to live life as a rabbi. He starts to do all this kind of stuff. But that's not rare because you had vocational guys who would do a job and then in a certain season would go and take disciples and do this kind of thing. Now, when we come to Peter in his context, Jesus comes along now as the rabbi and he meets Peter at this moment when they're fishing. And he's like, yo, Peter, um, you might want to put the nets on the other side, like over there. And Peter's like, who is this guy? My dad's taught me how to fish. At some point in my education, I was told I don't cut the grade. You're coming on my boat telling me, contrary to what my dad's taught me, what everyone else knows about fishing. And then he chucks it in that side and he gets the biggest catch he's ever got. And all of a sudden he's like, okay, um, he's freaked out and he's afraid. And then Jesus says to him, come follow me. And Peter says this really interesting phrase. He says, oh, I can't. I'm a, I'm a sinner. A word which we have a lot of stigma on, but it just means to miss the mark. He's just been told at some point, you don't cut it. You don't get a rabbi. Go learn your dad's trade. And so this rabbi's in his boat saying, contrary to his dad's trade, blows his mind and then says, come follow me. And Peter's like, but I'm a failure. And he goes, oh, that's totally okay. I'm going to make you something else. You are a failure, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And Peter's like, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I've been told that I'm not good enough and that I don't cut this, that I don't have the social standing, that I don't have the class, that I don't have the, 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 the opportunity. And Jesus just says, follow me. And so Peter follows him. Now, Jesus had some really strange ideas about being a disciple and about being a rabbi. One of the the bombs he dropped was um, as a rabbi to his disciples and those following him and listening was he said call no man rabbi and call no man father and it's kind of like say what isn't that kind of like counterintuitive for your job role and what he says is this call no man rabbi you are all brothers you're all brothers why are you going to follow some dude when you're all brothers? And then he said this about the other religious leaders in the establishment. He said, it's the blind leading the blind. And the reason he said that is because he said this statement as well. I, no man has seen the father. I've seen the father. I see what he does. I do what he does. I've heard what he says. I say what he says. And then he says to them, call no man rabbi because you're brothers. And you're the blind leading the blind because none of you have ever seen him. You're all speculating about what you don't know about, but I've seen him. And I will show you in flesh and blood what it means to do Torah. I'll show you what it really means. I'll reveal to you the things I was dropping when I was 12 years of age, when the greatest social innovators in the country had no understanding of how community is done, have no understanding of how taking away the power back and empowering others and not seeking to empower yourself. I'll tell you about a community that will change from the top to the bottom all the way around. And I'll let you in on this. This is my kingdom and the kingdom of heaven is at hand and this is why you follow me and so he created this group of individuals ranging in class and stature from those who were powerful and gave up everything they had um, and those who had nothing now receiving something of worth for the first time and he went teaching in and out of all the different regions and the different communities and Jesus started to bring about a movement of social change and justice and issues. And within our society, in our context, what we have this week is we've had an election and we've had the conservatives, the rich and the powerful, win an election. We've had labor get completely trounced. And there's a lot of fear going on on both sides, on all sides, all these different kinds of things happening. And what Jesus does in his one statement of call no man rabbi and call no man father is he, he breaks down two huge classes and join them together in one movement by taking the two 
opposing streams that break off and saying, call no man rabbi. He goes, don't look to the rich and the influential within your institution. Come follow me. I will show you a new way to live. And to those rejected who've had to learn their father's trade, he's saying, call no man father. You have a father in heaven. You are born for more than your trade. You're born for more than the limited capability and purpose that someone has said, this is all you are. I say to you, you are so much more. And when he calls them to follow him, he's saying one key thing within their context as a rabbi is a rabbi, when he calls a disciple, is he's not saying, come and cut a grade. He's saying, come and be as I am. And so when he calls Peter, he's saying, you can be as I am. And Peter says, I'm not good enough. And Jesus says, I know that, but I'm calling you to be like me. And so when he does this, he lays down some really firm guidelines, which are really kind of off-putting and really quite like, oh man, I don't know if I can take this. I don't know if I can dig this. I don't know if I can do this because he said some statements. He said this really harsh one, which when we read in the English looks terrible, but in the original script, it's not so bad. He says, you want to follow me. You have to hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your daughter, your son. Actually, he says, you have to hate your own life. He says, you have to take your own cross. You take it up upon yourself like I did and you have to follow me. And then he said this, he says, a builder doesn't come into London and start plans to build a shard without counting the cost to make sure he has enough funding to build the whole thing. No one does that. You just get a foundation built and nothing happens. You see it in, in a lot of countries where there's these building projects it's like, bang, We've got this far and no further. No one's counted the cost. He says, you need to count the cost with this. He says, you have to hate them. But when he says hate, he doesn't mean hate. He means your love for me, for this, has to be so great that it's as if you hate them. But it's not real hate and it's normal in their context because when you take on a rabbi, you cut yourself off from all surroundings. You go away, you learn the way, you learn to be like them. And then you come back into your community as an influence and an active member for change and social innovation within your context and your society. And so when Jesus is saying this to them, he's saying, listen, if you want to follow me, you follow me. You learn from me. You take my way. You don't take any other ways. And I think one of the most damaging things that I've probably done within my own context and my own story is that through the years, I've gone through this avenue where I've taken things from here, there, and everywhere else. And he just wants us to kind of cut that off and take that on. And the reason he does that is it all comes back to the honey or the Haribo, Reuben. It all comes back to the honey and the Haribo because in the Psalms it says that his word is sweeter than Haribo, his word is sweeter than honey. And through it I find understanding. And when I find understanding, I despise every other way of life. So the reason there's this strictness about it, there's this reason there's this cutting off and there's this embracing of this new influence is because what he's saying is what we have here is so precious, it tastes so sweet. But if you're not willing to separate from this, if you're not willing to stand alone and buy into this, you'll never see the social innovation and the life change that you want to see. A few years back, I was in the north of Canada and um, at a place called Sioux Lookout, and I was in one of what my friends who were missionaries there told me was one of the roughest native reserves in Canada. And um, one, I got really ill, and I was invited to speak at um, this kind of youth teenage event. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I was invited to speak at this youth kind of teenage thing. I was really ill, and I just went there, sat on a chair, just did this talk. And all I did was just tell the Jesus story. 
I just gave them something sweet, some sweet honey, and said, here, this is available for you. You want this, you have this, you go for it. I just shared the story. I shared what Jesus did in my life with my hurts, my pains, uh, my insecurities, my fears, and all the things that kind of held me back, the box around me that said, you can't be this, you can't do that. I just shared that. I shared the Jesus story. And um, that was it. I prayed and I went back to the missionary's house. And then I got this phone call. Um, a few days later at the missionary's house and there's one of the girls on the phone, this teenage girl. And um, the missionary, my friend's mom answered it and she was like, um, the girl just goes, I want to speak to the man. There was no like, just direct. And I got the phone and she said, is it true? And I was like, is what true? Like, you know, you're gonna have to be a bit more specific. I said a lot of stuff. She goes, is it true? Um, is what true? Jesus, is the Jesus story true? And I said, well, you heard my story and you heard what he did in my life. And I said, yes, the Jesus story true. And she said, I want his story to become my story. And on this phone, we had this moment where we prayed and this girl had this encounter with Jesus. And she said she felt this like peace, this warmth, this acceptance. For the first time, she felt okay in her own skin, that she felt a one and at peace with her life and all that she was. And it was awesome. And I got off the phone and then I told my friend, the missionary, and she said this, she said, wow, you will not believe why that is so amazing. And I was like, why? Well, she said, you know you said how rustling it, how the noise was so rustling in there, as if like kids at a choir practice with the paper, but there was no paper in the room. I said, you know that sound? I was like, yeah. She goes, that's because the girls there have had things done to them by their brothers, their dads, and even their, and their uncles. And they are just broken and they, they don't trust anyone. And so he said, when that girl has made this moment and when she tells you she feels peace and she feels balance within her life again, and she feels wholeness, she's tasted something sweeter. His word is sweeter than honey, than Haribo. And through it, we gain understanding. Her situation hadn't changed. The fact what happened to her before hadn't gone. She still lived in that house with that family situation. She was still there, but everything about her had changed. She tasted something sweeter and that is what happens when you become an apprentice, you become a disciple of Jesus and you ditch everything behind you and you move and you grab on to something new. You grab hold of something precious, something sweeter than anything else. I'm gonna pray for us and then that's kind of it for our service today. Um, Father, I thank you uh, for who you are. I thank you that it is readily available for us at the table. Not speaking physically, even though it is. <laughs> but it's readily available to us. Your word is sweeter than honey, that your word brings real life change, that your world brings real change in society, large context, small context, and individual context. I thank you for the many, many that have experienced the, the taste and the power that comes with tasting of your word and how it transforms us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here, Lord. You know every individual here. You know me. You know the areas of my life, Lord, where I desperately want to taste your word. I definitely want to taste your goodness. Father, this time I just recognize, Lord, that it speaks of you, Jesus being the word who became flesh and blood. And Father, we taste of your goodness. We taste of what you have given for us, Lord. And this morning, I just pray for those of us here that maybe life is tasting a bit bitter right now. Maybe life is tasting a little bit sour. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you bring your peace, that you bring us a the peace that surpasses understanding of our situations, that you would renew us, make us whole, and we would taste of your sweetness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.